joining us on After Dark with Robbie and Andrew, American Out Loud, which is available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or head on over to AmericaOutloud.com and click on the Listen Live tab for 24-7 Talk Radio. You will not be disappointed. Folks, tonight I have joining me as my co-host, Heather Robinson of the New York Post. Tonight's topic... Well, first of all, I want to just read to you all something that I read the other day, an article that I saw on the news. And it was captured, the capture, the, the title was, Polls find that 70 to 71% of Americans believe the country is on the wrong track. Ever so often we hear about these polls and we hear people saying that they don't like what's happening with the country and we're in the wrong direction. And then we go to the polls and we vote <laughs> and it seems as if we're voting for the same thing and we're getting the same results. But I thought that this poll was interesting, considering everything that's been happening in the country in the way of our elected officials. There's a culture change that's taken place. And I don't know if those Americans are pointing to that as being the reason why they're not satisfied or, and feel that the country's headed in the wrong direction. Because clearly they had an opportunity to change that during the recent fall election, midterm election. Could have voted for more, you know, a different set of people if they felt that the ones that were in power weren't giving them what they wanted. And then, you know, if you dive into that, like, what exactly are they not happy about? And in some instances, it's the same thing, the economy. They feel that there's a lot of discourse in D.C., that people aren't listening to each other, that both sides are screaming and no one is saying, okay, time out. And the last time Heather was on, we, we talked about an article that she had written about a football player who was injured. Everyone was watching him play for the Buffalo Bills, and he was injured, and how the world or America came together in prayer to pray that this young man would be okay. And it was a moment that, unlike anything that we've seen before, it was, the guy's name was Damar Hamlin. It's like, we all agree that we, we want this guy to be okay. But then after that, what happened? We went back to our regular lies, doing the same thing, and we just weren't satisfied. We weren't happy. So it begs a question, have we as a country just like dumbed down everything, have we just like lowered the standards almost and allowing anything to come in and we're accepting it out of fear that, if, well, if I don't accept this, I'm going to make someone mad or I'm going to hurt someone's feelings, as opposed to just being brutally honest and saying, this is not the direction we want to go. These aren't the people that we want in place. You look at what happened in Memphis, Tennessee whereby five black police officers attacked an unarmed black man, Tyree Nichols. These are supposed to be officers that were, was, took an oath to protect and to serve. And they're not the only ones, as I mentioned on the show uh, last night. There have been instances whereby white police officers have attacked white men. Had a situation where Randall Worcester was attacked in Crawford County by three officers. They were all white. Though thankfully, Randall lived to tell the story. But then you look in Arkansas back in 2021, 
whereby Hunter Britton, a traffic stop, he was an 18-year-old, and white police officers of Lona County beat the living daylights out of him and killed him. What's happened? Why are people in these professions just going crazy? Is it that because we defund the police, we keep saying defund the police, or could it be that we've lowered the standards and we're allowing anyone and everyone to put on that uniform and say, I'm a police officer? Because in the case in Memphis, Tennessee, the five black police officers that beat Tyree Nichols, I'm hearing that the city of Memphis think they're, they're short currently nearly 200 police officers, they're short. And that it got to the point that they lowered the standards and said, you know, anyone can come in and be a police officer. Uh, You don't have to have this educational requirement. And some cities are even looking at allowing people who've been convicted of a felon to be a police officer. Very little training. And I, I bring up police officers because of what we're encountering right now in the country with this massive wave of, of it seems that police officers are behaving badly. And no matter what you say, folks, I know the left, they want to make this a racial issue. You have Al Sharpton who's coming out saying, oh, there's this institutional racist. You even have the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, is coming out trying to say that it, it involved race, although Tyree Nichols is black and the five police officers were black. And I just gave you two instances whereby the officers were white and the victims were white. But we want to turn it into racism because we know that that will divide us. The lowest common denominator, let's throw that in there and people get all mixed up, they'll get confused, they'll get mad. But these guys were black and the victim was black. And even the chief of police in Memphis said this has nothing to do with race. So why is it that the usual suspects who like to push race are saying that it's race? Is it because of the ones who are saying that it is race? We've lowered the standards and we're allowing anyone to control the narratives. We're allowing anyone to pick up that mantle and speak and they shouldn't be speaking. Why is that? And like I said, I'm talking about police officers because of what happened recently. But you look at our politicians, look at the individuals who are running for office. Are they the best of the best? Here in New York City, they're attacking this guy, George Santos, and saying, oh, he should step down. But why should he? Where are those people who should take his place? Look at the ones that are in, already in political office. Nancy Pelosi. She's been there for how long? She's in her 80s. Even Joe Biden. He just turned 80. Clearly, the man is suffering from some type of mental issue, dementia. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But then we have the media. They're telling us, oh, don't look at that. He's the best president ever. And even the media, they're compromised. We don't have the best journalists that are reporting the news. Thankfully, we have After Dark with Robin Andrew, and we have Heather Robinson of the New York Post. We're trying to be as fair and accurate when we're giving our opinions, we let you know. But across the board, even in our medical professions, even in schools, our teachers, we don't have the best. We have teachers that want to be activists. Our judges, judges that want to be activists, they are not applying the law. You look at the election of 2020, and as I mentioned, please get the book rigged. You will be shocked at the history that our kids don't know, because many people assume and think that judges can make legislative laws, they can control the election, but they can't. They're not supposed to. But because we've lowered the standard, we've lowered the bar, we're willing to let any and everyone come in with an opinion. And that's all it is, an opinion that they're saying that this is the gospel, this is the truth, but it isn't. And as I always say on this show, we've got to do better. But right now we need to analyze What's happening? Why is it that people aren't satisfied? Why do they think the country is headed in the wrong direction when many of them voted for the people that are in office? Many of them supported the policies that they put out there. Heather, thank you for joining us tonight. 
I know that I said a lot in my opening. Why do you think people are dissatisfied with the way the country is going when they've had numerous opportunities to change it, but yet and still it seems as if though they voted the same way. Now, I know before you answer that, I know some people would say, oh, well, they cheated. Okay, fine. Let's remove that from the equation. Let's pretend that they, there were no cheating. Why is it? Because they did, a lot of them did vote for these people. I mean, even right. if there was, and there was significant fraud. I, you know, I've always been of the opinion, though, that I don't personally find it impossible to believe that Biden got more votes than Trump. Not because I like Biden or because I don't like Trump, just because I, we, you know, we all saw, you know, the, the massive brainwash that took place and how whipped up and hysterical a lot of people we knew were against Trump, you know, empirical evidence and policy didn't matter. You know, what mattered were his tweets and their perception of, you know, his personality and their ire and feeling of uh, deep indignation and personal taking very personally what he said and did that they found offensive. That was, you know, their overriding obsession and emotion, many, many people we all knew. So, you know, it wasn't really a mystery to me. I mean, it wasn't like we didn't know anybody who hated Trump. I mean, let's be honest, every single one of us, even those of us who have mostly conservative family and friends, you know, how, how many times were we all personally blasted by people in social situations, in work, at school? I mean, the, the, animus against Trump and, you know, without even going into what I think of it, which isn't much, I don't think there was much logic or intelligence behind it, but I think it was undeniable and it swept the country. So that to me was the first thing that happened, you know, was Trump and then people's reaction and the media, constant, continuous drumbeat, as well as aggressive distortion, propagandizing of what he actually said you know, we know that in some cases the media just distorted what he said, such as claiming that he said uh, that white supremacists were very fine people, which he never said. If you actually watch the presser and watch the whole tape, that's just one example of numerous where his words were actually taken out of context. And, you know, the whole statement was distorted. What he said was that there were two groups of people there in Charlottesville. And, you know, the, the neo-Nazis and white supremacists and KKK should be condemned totally, were his exact words, but that there was another group of historic preservationists, basically, who were very fine people. That's what he expressed. But it was, it was the, the two statements were mashed together. And my point is, there was so much aggressive propaganda against him. So many people bought it. And there was hatred of him. And, you know, so it wasn't a mystery, you know, I mean, again, without even knowing the extent of the shysting and the fraud that took place, and I'm sure some of it did. I personally think, though, that I, I'm not convinced that Biden didn't win, you know, just because, you know, I mean, a lot of people, he, you know, vote for Biden was a vote against Trump and the people were the brainwash was was complete. Right. So. So, you know, I mean, and you ask why, why are people voting for politicians whose policies are, are bad and get poor results and really make no sense whatsoever? 
such as defund the police, you know, which, by the way, I think part of what we're seeing today is an outgrowth of that. I think that that was such a wrongheaded policy and is. And one of the negative consequences has been a lowering, I agree with you, of standards. You know, if you don't pay people much and you subject them to all kinds of disrespect, you're not going to get the elite sort of intellects and capable people to want to be in that job. I mean, I think that the defund the police movement may have something to do with what we're seeing, you know, some very, you know, very poor police work going on, like in Memphis. And, you know, we don't know all the facts and, you know, the whole story is going to emerge and that's what trials are for. But certainly it would appear that whatever else may or may not be true, that wasn't brilliant police work going on, nor was it in the case of Derek Chauvin. You know, I've always thought that some of this stuff is police stupidity, not police. I mean, it's police brutality. But I think a lot of times, you know, some of these these officers are not, you know, I mean, I think in general, we have a lot of, you know, bright, capable men and women going into police work historically, especially in cities like New York, where the NYPD was a kind of a prestige position. You had to have a college education. You had to be fit. You had to be, you know, on it, bright. And it wasn't easy to become a New York City police officer. And I think I, my, my impression is that this defund movement, you know, which has heaped disrespect on the police, which has argued for fewer police, and less funding. If anything, I think it, it sort of it works against um, it works against the the you know higher sort of skilled people and people with more prospects don't want to you know are less inclined I would think to go into police work. So you know I think it's yet another example of wrongheaded liberal policy that has the exact opposite effect of what it's supposed to have which is, you know, it's supposed to improve the professionalism of the police. Of course, I'm giving them more credit, maybe these activists than they deserve. I mean, people who are saying defund the police, obviously it was never a tenable or practical or in any way reasonable position to take. It's Bernie Sanders, I'll even quote Bernie Sanders, Rob, who I'm no fan of. Even Bernie Sanders said at one point, Anybody who's saying defund the police, it's nonsense. Every country in the world and human history has some kind of police force. You can't have a society without police. I mean, it's like saying uh, I'm against, you know, running water. I mean, it's 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 idiotic. And and so, you know, I think that we're seeing we're seeing some of the this the fallout from all this continue in various ways. Yeah, just, but- just- that that, that's what they wanted. They they wanted us to defund the police, lower the standards, or re-envision the police, as Barack Obama said in many of his acolytes, abandon the police, abandon prisons, get away from punishments. And then what are you left with? You have these men and women who are putting their lives on the line. And I don't think people realize it, that they're putting their lives on the line for us to protect us and it's almost a thankless job because of the policies of the left and i gotta throw in republicans also because they haven't done a very good job in defending the police you have a few like tim scott who's doing his darnest but then you have others who roll over 
I read the other day or heard that Lindsey Graham is looking at giving into, I think, this immunity deal whereby police officers can be sued on a civil level if they've done something wrong. No, don't get me wrong here. If there's a bad cop and if he's done something wrong, he should be held accountable. But this entire thing that police, we have all these bad police, rogue police out there is just not true. It's something that the far left has created and people have bought into it. The media is running with it, and we don't have enough Republicans to stand up and defend and say, no, this is wrong. This is completely wrong. The same way they're trying to turn this entire thing with what happened in Memphis into a, a racist story, and it's far from that. It's not that at all, and we need a few good men and women to stand up and say, hold it. That has nothing to do with Now, I want to pick this back up on the other side of the break because I don't only want to talk about police officers. As I said in my opening, when we look at our politics, we look at our schools, we look at our medical professions, them wanting to lower the standards there. So you're tuned in to After Dark with Robin Andrew on the America Out Live platform to be heard on Spotify and iTunes. And my special co-host tonight is Heather Robinson. We'll be back after the commercial break. So please join us. Go grab a snack. Call a friend, because this is an important conversation that needs to be had. See you on the other side. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Hello, I'm Ben Marble MD and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation supported faith based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. And we're back. And tonight's subject is why are Americans so disappointed? And why do they feel that the country is headed in the wrong direction? And have we as a country lowered the standards on everything that we hold so near and dear? And when we went to break, Heather was giving me more insight on what Lindsey Graham was arguing as far as, far as immunity for police officers. Heather, you want to go ahead and explain that, please? 
Oh, just was clarifying that I read that uh, Graham was arguing that police departments should be able to be civilly accountable if there's abuse, but not individual police officers. So I think he was attempting sort of a compromise position. Uh-huh. The left doesn't want, you know, you know, they want, they don't want any uh, police immunity or whatever the term is, I guess it's um, qualified immunity, which shields law enforcement from liability in civil lawsuits, unless the accusers can prove a a violation of constitutional rights. So I guess it's a very high standard of proof in order to be able to sue a police officer. You have to be able to prove in court that the officer definitely violated someone's constitutional rights. And, you know, the left, of course, wants to do away with that immunity for police officers. And Graham was suggesting that maybe departments and not individual officers should be able to be civilly sued, you know, if, if a police officer does something improper. And, you know, I also read that there was some um, push to, to, you know, along with all the defund the police, which was idiotic, but but that there was, you know, more sensible kind of concern about reforming police departments and examining the, 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 you know, rules of how to, how to handle, you know, suspected, you know, perpetrators and all this stuff. And that Cory Booker and Tim Scott both took some lead on some concrete legislation to, to try to actually reform things, which seems smart. And, and so, I think there's there's a call now for them, the two of them, to get together and to negotiate a com- compromise on a new police reform bill, which I think, you know, you talk about standards, Rob. I mean, I think that we've seen things in recent years that anybody who's got any sensitivity to human life sees were excessive on the part of certain police officers. And, and I think that instead of all the screaming and carrying on and, and you know, rioting, et cetera, that yeah, if we really care, why don't we support some smart politicians and actually hammering out something specific in terms of policy that is thought to maybe be something that could help to to reduce the incidence of police brutality. I mean, I you know you need police, and yeah, it's it's tough because police need to have authority and it needs to be respected, or you have chaos and. So police can't, I mean, I don't mean to make light of any, I mean, it is very disturbing to see brutality. It's horrible, but I mean, police can't fight crime with uh, peanut butter and jelly. I mean, they have to sometimes be tough, but, you know, that doesn't mean that they beat somebody to death when, they, you know, there's five guys there. I mean, yes, there's there's got to be some in between completely just, just, rendering the police impotent and and non-existent which the hard left wants and you know just refusing to see that that maybe there is there is some excess in some cases and so i think we need some smart legislators to really look at this and look at the problem and find some kind of compromise right we do but and it's just as i said it's not just the police officers thank you for giving us that clarity on lindsey graham it's just not police officers it's our local politicians they're they're too responsible for this and they're causing all the angst with some of the things that they're doing and the, and what they're pushing like i said this whole thing with race 
And we're going to have you to come back on because I want to do just a, a, a show on race. And why are people so afraid of it? Yes, racism exists. And I think the Republicans have got to get in front of that and just admit it does exist. But at the level that the Democrats are claiming that it exists, it does not exist. Okay. And we need to tackle that. We need to stand out front. We need to control that narrative the same way we need to control the narrative of people that are going into these different positions. And we have lowered the standards because of diversity and equity. Are you trying to say that Black people don't perform at the same level as white people or white people don't perform at the same level of Asian people? But it's mainly Blacks and whites. We have an issue with that. It has been that way since the beginning of time, and it is time for us to address that. As I mentioned in the first block of the show, Memphis, Tennessee, they decided to lower the standards as to who can and who can't be a police officer. And right now, anyone can be a police officer because people didn't want to take the job. Why didn't they want to take the job? Because it was it had become a thankless job. Yeah, they were they afraid. The police and Antifa and BLM and all these people, you know, I had a, I have a smart friend, a liberal, you know, he's a he's a lawyer and he doesn't see eye to eye with me on everything but he i remember he predicted this you know he 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 said that they're going to get the exact opposite of what they want they're going to get lower qualified people in those jobs if they defund because they're going to be paid less not that everything's about money but i mean the combination of less pay less respect you're not I mean, going to get the top people for those jobs. I mean, look at New York City. Back in the 90s, I think New York City went through the same thing. They had hired, what was the guy's name, Spike Lee, to create this ad trying to attract minorities to the police force. And when you look across the board at our big cities, a majority of the police force consists of minorities. So why is it? Yes, you know, it is. Yes. I think they want people who can, you know, really be they want the, the police force to reflect the diversity of the population and, and, not that, and that makes and that makes sense but mm -hmm. again but you to want reflect the, the diversity but we want the best we don't want yeah. and it, the same thing for our teachers you look at our school system we have more activists if you go on instagram or facebook you see more activists i remember when i was in school teachers were revered they were important people in the communities. They were pillars of the community and they were respected. But somehow that changed. People started going to school. Well, I'm just going to be a teacher because I just want a job. What do you mean just a teacher to get a job? You are teaching our future generations. And then there was always this, uh, this battle between what we're paying our teachers and we should want to pay our teachers, I mean, a handsome salary because they're training our future leaders. But now when you look at our teachers, I remember I had volunteered as one of the schools here in New York City, as a volunteer teacher, I wanted to go in and help. And I once I did in one of the most the worst bad schools, and then one was a really good school. But what I found was what I found interesting is that the caliber of students and the teachers, the teachers were like some of them they didn't care. It was just I'm just here because it's a job. I just want to make money. As if though it were a, a fast food place, the way they dressed. The dress was completely dressed down. I thought, wow, what is this? And the students, they were running all around. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot do this. I could not be a teacher. But I take my hat off to those teachers who were committed 
and who want who are in the profession because they want to help children. They want to train our future generations. But now the teachers, it's all about activism, teaching kids about activism. And you need to get out there and you need to do this. No, that's not your responsibility. That is a reason why our, the test scores are so low. And then we have these teacher federations and they're doing this. It's all about monies. And, and it's always oh. talk. We, we're going to get, we're going to correct it. We're going to do, then it goes to the politicians. We have politicians who shouldn't be there, who are only there for power, as opposed to saying, I want to help my constituency. I want to help the future America so that we could keep the country going. Well, I think that the, my opinion, my impression is that the closer you get to grassroots, to local uh, politicians in general, you know, I know some good local politicians. I know some people who our local representatives, city council people who are very, very committed to hearing their constituents, to fighting for their constituents. And uh, Ina Vernikov is one. She's a councilwoman here in New York. Just one example. Uh, Lee Zeldin, I think, was phenomenal uh, and responsive to people and there for the right reasons. I think, in general, the further you get up in the hierarchy of power, you know, if you think about it, what it takes to make it as a big politician at this time, our media age, you know, is so much money and access to influence. And, you know, I saw an interview of Donald Trump when he was young, not long ago. There's, a, there's something on Netflix. Um, and he was being interviewed by a woman named Jaffe was her last name. I forget her first name, but he was in his 30s, I guess, and it was just so interesting to see him. And he said, she asked him something about, would you ever run for president? And he said, you know, I, he didn't answer yes or no. He just said, I think it would be very difficult for one person. He, he said something like, you know, with this massive system that we have, with how big it's all gotten, I think it would be very hard, you know, to get to the top for one person to do that and make a difference. And of course, you know, as you know, I'm basically a fan of his role. I think he did it, but I think it was almost impossible. And I think that once he got there, the establishment, all the massive bureaucracy of people who, who retain these positions from administration to administration, who get there through favoritism and nepotism and you know, they're not necessarily all totally corrupt, but they basically are climbers and people who know how to, you know, butter everybody else's bread in their circle and get and give favors. I mean, you have such a massive bureaucracy now in Washington, whether you're talking about, you know, State Department, uh, the other departments, you know, this massive bloated bureaucracy, even the, you know, representatives and senators themselves. And of course, the, the Congress is supposed to be the closest to the people. Um, but, you know, you just, I mean, to get there, you have to, you have to make so many promises and get raise so much money and spend your time doing so much schmoozing and backslapping and telling people what they want to hear that it, I think for a person of a lot of independence and independent mindedness and integrity, it's probably very hard to, to get there, you know, and retain that if you have it in the first place. Like personally, I always liked Cory Booker. I know him a little bit personally and think, you know, always thought the world of him. And I still think he's a good person, but I do, you know, I do think that what he started out being, you know, a real, you know, close to the people 
kind of street fighter. There was even a documentary made about him. I think it was called Street Fighter, but he went into Newark. You know, he had a wonderful, you know, very elite education from Oxford, you know, but he wanted to be to make a difference for his people. And he went there. He he set up uh, a camp on the street when he was young because the brick towers were you know, the, the, there were many gangs that had taken over in this very depressed public housing complex and the people were terrorized. And he went and lived among the people. And he, uh, I remember the story, he wouldn't leave, the two, you know, drug dealers threatened him physically. He said, you know, I'm peaceful, I'm unarmed, but I'm not gonna leave until you leave the community to the people who wanna obey the law. And I, I don't, you know, they need, they, at that time he was advocating for more police protection for the community because they were so terrorized by the gangs. My point is he was someone who I think was above extreme partisanship at that time. He really struck me as someone who cared deeply. And I think his heart is the core of him. Core of Corey is probably still there. But my impression is that to get to climb so high, he's had to make a lot of compromises, I think. And he's had to go extreme. He was never, when I knew him, he wasn't an extremist. I mean, he was a Democrat, but he was a bridge builder. He worked with, you know, corporations to get more uh, business to take, you know, make investments in Newark. He was... uh, he was the head of the Jewish Community Center at Oxford because he had so many Jewish friends and allies. You know, I mean, he was, he was, yes, he cared about liberal politics, but he wasn't a liberal extremist. If anything, his strength was his ability to see other people's point of view. And he may still have that in him, but I just have seen him, you know, go so extreme. And I've kind of wondered what's behind that. And the only thing I can figure is that I think, you know, Washington has changed him some. I think that he's right. in an echo chamber. And, you know, that's just I think a lot of our politicians are. They, they You know, even the ones that were great when they started out or had something special and that was part of the spark that enabled uh, them. I agree. Them. I think just, that's what has happened, that a lot of them, they go in with good intentions, but then they get caught up mm-hmm. in all of the I mean, they lose, they basically lose themselves mm-hmm. because of all the competing forces and they're opposed to just being true to themselves. And again, it just goes back to us being able well, to attract, to rub, you know, to get I'm sorry? elected. Maybe they sort of have to. Yeah, but, the okay, then if that's the case, then they shouldn't be there. Because as I said, well, we're, we need to attract the best. And if you don't have that willpower to stand up and be independent, you look at Trump. A lot of people didn't like Trump, but they kept saying, let Trump be Trump. And there were a lot of things I look back and I'm like, okay, please don't say this. Please be quiet, this and that. But he did get things done and he was true to himself. He didn't sell his soul to the devil. um, But you know what? To me, that's part of the hypocrisy of people. They, They say they want that. But give it to them, and they tear uh-huh. it to pieces. <laughs> yep. You know they want. They say they want independent. I mean, it's like it's a little like somebody says, "I want honesty. I want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't BS me." But it's like you know, go try to be honest. Most people can't handle it. It's like not that I'm not even saying bend over backwards to be brutally honest and mean. I'm saying just be 
honest, most people don't want honest. They want to be bullshit, you know, I think. And they want their version of reality mirrored back to them at all times. Most people don't like cognitive dissonance. They don't really like to question themselves. Rare, some people do, you know, but most people don't. They just want to be told, you know, they're right. Their ideas are right. Everybody else is you know, wrong and a moron and this and that. Their choices are right. They want validation of that. Anyway, I just think that our system is great as it is. It's better than dictatorship and it's better than if we're such a big country, we need, I guess, the two parties. But I've always felt that it's unfortunate that the two parties sort of, you know, push things to extremes. And in order to get elected, I guess, the way it's set up now, you have to just keep kind of pleasing your own constituency. And yeah, to some degree, that makes sense. You're there to serve the people, not to impose your own agenda. But I do think that, you know, it's complicated and I don't mean to just cast blame. I'm, you know, it's a, it's a tricky game. But I do think that's part of what made Trump so great was that he was able to, to navigate this two-party system and still retain a little independence. Yes, he was a Republican, but that didn't mean he was lockstep knee-jerk with, you know, the most arch Republicans on every single thing. You know, I think he had some of his own ideas, and I think he was one of the most anti-war presidents we've had, for instance. I don't think he was just strictly, you know, sucking at the tit of the military-industrial complex to the point where he would just you know, get us involved in wars, you know, willy nilly, like we've seen lately, that make absolutely no sense. I, you know, I think he, you know, had a sense of conscience toward the veterans, toward the working class of the country, who are the ones who tend to pay the price, you know, when we get into these, these wars that don't work out. I think he had different ideas about, you know, I mean, I think he was in line with the Republicans. He felt there was a common sense kind of approach to things, though, as far as gay rights, as far as abortion rights. I don't think he was an extremist. I think he had, yes, some independence. And I, I think that the, you know, people who say they value that don't really value it that much. You know, they value their club membership, mostly in the liberal leftist club. And if somebody's not in the club, they tear them to pieces. And, you know, our fellow conservatives, I think, tend to be, you know, in my opinion, more invested in, in integrity and honesty and take those values seriously. But, you know, I think we have people on our side of the aisle, too, who sometimes don't think outside the box so well or consider that there's, you know, different people in the country with different views, and we all have to live together. And I mean, that's where the liberals, the true liberals, not the left-wing fanatics, you know, have a point to make. You know, you can't recreate the world in your own image. None of us is God, and we can cherish our values, but we can't impose our values on everybody. And, you know, we can, we can you know, require that everybody live with, you know, respect for the rights of others. But beyond that, you can't legislate morality, you know, you can't, you know, and I think, I think Trump knew that. And, um, you know, I think that we, you know, I would love to see our politicians have that kind of, you know, independence, which is a very rare thing. And, you know, I guess we all need some organizing principles or, you know, if everybody was a, extreme free thinker, maybe society would fall apart, Rob. I don't know. You know, I mean, I just need, you know, groups of people to follow the right. rules. But, but still, you know, we're smart people. Americans have always been industrious people and people who value freedom. And it's right. like, I want to see that, that value. 
upheld. And I think that means it gets messy sometimes and it gets, you know, there are debates, there's, you know, and I think that this kind of total demonizing of other positions and people is a kind of intellectual laziness and cowardice. You know, it's like being too afraid to study the issues and roll up your sleeves and learn and actually care about, you know, making policies and compromising and you know, that's the stuff of life and government. That's that's how we build something as opposed to just be a bunch of, you know, whiny hysterics in our corner, you know. And I think, yeah. Well, Heather, that, well, I, I want you to hold that thought because we've got to go to break, got to pay some bills. And we're going to come back. Uh, you're tuned in to After Dark with Robin Andrew and my uh, co-host, Heather Robinson of the New York Post. We'll be back and we want you to come back with us. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. And we're back for the last segment of After Dark with Robin Andrew. And our topic tonight is, have we lowered the standards? Have we lowered the bar? Is that the reason why 71% of the population feels that we're headed in the wrong direction? And as Heather mentioned, when we give people what they want, they say they want this, then they're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe that, that's, that's a little bit too much. I, I didn't really expect you to do that. I was just saying that I liked it. But at what point can we all get on the same page? Can we agree to disagree? Can we agree what's right and what's wrong? I mean, I know that some people say, well, that's that's your ideology. That's what you think. I think something else. But when you look at the way our, our society is headed and you look at the things that have changed, education for one of them, as I mentioned, the last block, I mean, that should be at the very top of our list, making certain that the next generation are educated. But now we know that there will be a generation that will be clueless was that by design? Is that what we wanted? I mean, I read that even for going to medical school, they wanted to lower the standards. Well, you don't really have to make this on the MCAT. You can, you know, let's just let them slide by. No, I don't want that. When I'm going in to see a doctor, I want to make certain that doctor knows exactly what he's doing. But because we want to make everything fair and diversity and equity, we got to lower this standard, lower that standard. And look at what's happening with our law enforcement system. And that's just one element, the law, the schools. We see this right now. We see what's happening with the police right now because it's being played out. But quiet as it's kept, what we don't see 
that we will eventually see is when our children start to matriculate. They're clueless. They're going to all want to go out and, oh, let's just, let's just protest. Let's just be activists. Activists and protesting is not going to pay your bills. And do they think that the government is just going to fund everything for them? Because that's what it seems as if they'll like Biden. He wants to pay off all the student debt. Like, what is this? Pay off all the debt. We'll give you this. And then we have people coming in from the border. And I read the other day, they're mad because we want to get them out of a five-star hotel. They go, oh, no, we don't want to go over there. We want to stay in the five-star hotel because it's better. Look, you didn't even have that. And then some of them were mad at what we were feeding them. Oh, I don't want this. I want something that I had in my own country. Then go back to your country. what What has happened? What have we done? We've taken our eyes off of everything that matters. We've lowered the standards. We're saying anything can go. Look at our judges, some of our judges. They're letting things go by that they ordinarily would not let go by. They're not charging real crimes. And some would say, well, it's the legislatures. They're like, oh, no cash bail. Let this go. Let that go. It's like, wait a minute. Is this what we want? Is this a society that we said that we've got to have? For diversity and equity, we've got to lower all the standards. We've got to just let throw off the books and let everybody do whatever they want to do. Where are those minds that that look these look at these things and say, wait, this makes no sense? And I'm not talking about the folks at Davos, because we know that they're a bunch of looney tunes as far as I'm concerned. But where are those level-headed individuals? Are they going to keep that to themselves and not share it with the rest of us so that we can make certain that our society doesn't just collapse in chaos? Where are those people? Are they afraid to raise their hands out of fear that someone will say, you're a racist, or you can't do this, or we don't like you, or you hurt my feelings, I need a quiet corner, I need a safe space. And look Mm -hmm. at our military, the same thing with our military. We're lowering the standards. Oh, you can't do 100 push-ups? Okay, then just do 10. What happens when they have to go to war? Well, I can't hold the gun, I'm afraid. Well, why did you volunteer? I mean, this is going to affect everything that we do. Do not doubt it. If we're going to lower the standards, for our police, our schools, our medical profession, and then our military? What kind of country are we? We're just opening ourselves up and say, hey, here we are. You can take us. We've got to wake up. I mean, Heather, this is really scary when you look at it. It is extremely scary that they were lowering the standards for our medical profession, our military. Anyone can join the military. And just, we, uh, I think it was this past summer or fall, we learned that even the military, the Army, they missed their recruiting numbers. No one wants to go in now yeah. because of everything that they're putting in with, you know, men can get in showers with the women and vice versa. And it's, we, we've got to stop this. We need cooler heads to prevail. And that's where our justice system comes in. And when they can't look at the law and apply it judiciously, because we have a judge who doesn't know what a woman or a man is because she's afraid and she says the wrong thing, people are going to come after her then we don't need her on the courts. We don't need judges on the courts who are going to be afraid. I want to be liked. I want everyone to like me. No, we need someone who's going to stand up with principle. We need someone who's going to stand up and say, this is the right way. You might not like it. You may hate me. But in the end, you will benefit. Where are those people? Where are they hiding? Have we like made them all afraid to come out? I, I hope mean, not, Heather. Yeah, I hope not. I- I think there are still, you know, people striving for excellence, Rob. Well, you and I don't count. I mean, you, me, you, and Andrew, (laughs) there's got to be others that are out there. But, you know, there there are, there are, I, I, you know, and there are a lot of, you know, I know quite a few young kids who are very, who are hard workers, who are trying to, you know, excel in school and want to go into the military. And so I don't know that it's, it's as bleak as all that, but I do get the sense and, you know, I know you and other intelligent people I respect, you guys all feel that we're kind of experiencing a deterioration. And I 
tend to think that it's sort of like maybe what happened to the British Empire um, in the sense that, look, there's still England, it's still a, a great country and all that. But I think this is a bit of a different subject, I guess. I think that, you know, there was every empire, every great civilization has had an apex, you know, and a decline. And I guess you could look at what's going on in the context of that. You could say that on a real macro level, personal opinions aside, you see in, you know, when empires are on the wane, you know, you see a lot of uh, more kind of uh, dissolution of institutions and lack of respect for institutions and aberrant behavior, you know, being celebrated. But I mean, you know, sometimes I think, you know, that that sometimes is a kind of a, a prerequisite or, or a prelude to, you know, a tyrant or a strong man arising. That's, um, you know, kind of a scary idea. You know, I mean, you don't want to take it to such an extreme. Like, I mean, I we all, we believe in individuality in America. We champion individual rights and that means, you know, eccentricity, but, but I'm with you. I I just feel like some of what we're seeing now isn't just eccentricity. I I feel like in a way there's less respect for true offbeat eccentricity and people who are very individualistic and think differently and live differently. It's more like these broad categories, these groups of people who are just rejecting some societal norm and they're all kind of swarming together to do that. You know, like every, like tons and tons of people suddenly being transgender. Like I, I think there is such a thing as, as a transsexual individual. There are people who are born hermaphrodite. There, we're a world of individuals. There are people. I think historically those people, like people, any people who are different have been crucified by society. And I don't believe in that. I think we should protect and uphold the rights of the individual. So I just think that we need to really respect true individuality. But that doesn't mean, you know, that means, you know, no one should harm these people. No one should, you know, interfere with their basic rights. It doesn't mean that we should all have to agree to call them names and that there is no such thing as a man and a woman. And, you know, that's taking things into another realm of consensus. Um, and if you I know, could just add this, Heather, like yes. you said, they shouldn't be harmed, yet they are harming us by wanting to force us to accept their reality. And if we don't accept it, they will come after us and want to counsel us. Yeah, I'm not even sure it's that. I don't really think that most of the people pushing this are bona fide true born transgender or hermaphrodite individual. I've corresponded with a few people on Twitter who really are, who were born hermaphrodite, and they don't appreciate this, some of them. They don't appreciate the right. politicization. I've heard about that, right. Tradition. You know, this is, it's something real and it's something rare, as Bill Maher said the other day. And now it's like the trendy thing for tons and tons more people to be jumping on, but they say that a lot of this is... Um, like groupthink and it isn't even real. I mean, I look, I'm not qualified to, you know, make a pronouncement about that. That is my impression too. But I, where I get off the bus is the idea that, you know, children have to be taught this at a very young age before they're even in puberty or when they're starting puberty. I don't think that's appropriate. I don't think that that is fair. Um, I think that is like, you know, children are not prepared to deal with complex psychosexual 
problems and theory about that. They shouldn't have to. This is, you know, something that, you know, certain adults or certain people, rare individuals are having to grapple with. Maybe, you know, that's where they are in their lives and they should, their rights to do so should be respected. But I, you know, I don't think that, that, I don't know that it's them. I think it's whoever's in charge of left-wing politics seized on this as an issue. I think that the left kind of needs, here's my theory. You know, I don't know who's driving it, but I think the left has been out of good ideas for in recent decades. I think they had some important things to say, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, there was there was a need for reform when it came to, you know, legal discrimination against blacks in this country, when it came to, you know, women not being fully empowered in the workplace, when it came to, uh, you know, a war that people were being drafted to fight, that the reasons for were not crystal clear that it was necessary. I think that was a mistake to draft people, you know, particularly to fight a war that is not purely a war of self-defense of this country. And I think the left was right about those things. And I think that was kind of a high point for them because, you know, they were being, they, they had real issues and causes. And now I think they're, you know, those battles have basically been won for the most part. And I think they're lost. I don't think they have I mean, I think that then as a necessary kind of corrective to the excesses of the left, we saw conservatism rise in this country. People wanted to protect their children from the drug culture, from crime, from all these things that were the outgrowth of some of the excesses of the left. So I think that conservatives had an important voice and still do in saying, let's uphold our institutions. Yes, Vietnam may have been a mistake, particularly the draft, but, you know, we still need a strong defense. Uh, you know, yes, we may have, you know, limited what women can be, you know, but that doesn't mean the family and a woman and mother, wife and mother's role in the family should not be revered and that, they, you know, a child doesn't benefit from having a two-parent home, ideally. Um, you know, uh, yes, let's, you know, our churches are, are, you know, give us guidance and structure and help our young people and help our communities, including our minority and beleaguered communities to be stronger. And we need to stand up for those values. You know, these were important things the right was and are saying and I think the right is right about all of that. And it's necessary. And it's almost like the Democrats don't really have, plus they mismanage the economy again and again. You know, they haven't governed well in recent decades. And they don't really, you know, my theory is they don't really have that much positive stuff to run on or I, good ideas that are necessary right at this juncture. So they're coming out, they're pulling this stuff out of their, you know what, basically. I mean, they're kind of coming up with things I'm not saying they're totally making it up out of nothing, Bill, but it's like they're exaggerating, you know, and they're whipping people up, you know, with a sense of discontent and these, you know, this sense because the egregious injustices were more in the past, the legal injustices, you know, they, they're coming up with other things to be outraged about that really, you know, I'm not going to say that it's absolutely nothing, but it's, you know, you're talking about a tiny percentage of the population whose rights should be protected. Yes. But I mean, it really isn't something the whole society needs to be inculcated with and up in arms about hermaphroditism and the rare cases of true transgenderism. It doesn't have to be the obsession of everybody in the society. It does, you know, 
I mean, and yes, there's racism and police brutality, and it's terrible, but, you know, it should be addressed with concrete policy improvements and people who study law enforcement and criminal justice and to dedicate their lives to the impartial study of how to best manage the problems of crime and punishment should have, you know, get together and try to, you know, try different things and see what works as opposed to burning down, you know, public buildings and attacking police officers. And, you know, I mean, this stuff is so destructive, it's obviously not going to help. So it's like they should be applying themselves to concrete solutions. But maybe that's just not as sexy and exciting to the masses, you know, as as whipping everybody up over things that, you know, they're just like burning it all down. They're trying to be radicals. But I always think they're kind of playing at it because I think that if they were faced with real injustice, like Martin Luther King and his followers, who had the moral rectitude and courage to put their bodies on the line and still uphold a moral standard. I mean, that's rare. And I don't think that most of these people have the courage to do that. Not in a hundred years. I don't. I don't. I don't think that they're real moral leaders. I don't think they're real activists. Um, I don't think they really study the issues in depth from both sides and spend years as Martin Luther King did in study and prayer and, and really, um, you know, educating themselves because a true education means you have to learn about the other side. And, you know, you can't just get filled up with self-righteous fanaticism. You have to, you know, really educate yourself about (laughs) some of the complexities and, you know, still hold your views and be able to defend them and have a discussion and have a debate. They can't even do that. So, I mean, I think they're very morally bankrupt, very shallow, the left now in this country, you know, and we, you know, they're fed on a continuous loop they're reinforced in their views and it's like a club that they have. And I think a lot of it could just be seen as a function of decadence. We're such a wealthy country. We, you know, so many people have so much spare time and have, you know, not everybody, you know, some people are working multiple jobs just to put food on the table. That tends to be the working class in the country. And those people aren't radicals, you know, they probably have more to be angry about than anybody else. But they're not the the radicals are the people in fancy schools, you know, who really have nothing personally to complain about, you know, but they're they want a sense of purpose. They want meaning. And the left has tapped into this. That's how I see it, Rob. I think it's very vacuous. And well, it's, you know, it's well Heather, I, I must say that you have said a lot and Sorry. we're up against the clock. Appreciate you coming on again and co-hosting with me. And we will continue the conversation because it doesn't stop here. And we need to get to the bottom as to what's happening and we need to turn the curve. We need to refocus and get back on the right track. You've been listening to After Dark with Robin Andrew on America Out Loud, my special co-host, Heather Robinson. Tune in again with us Monday through Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern time. And as Andrew always says, stand for something, a fall for nothing. Thank you, be safe, God bless, good night.